Good evening, church family. I greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining me once again for Women of the Bible Speak, the fifth session. Uh, this evening, we're going to be looking at uh, the biblical women of Hannah and of Miriam. They are going to be speaking God's truth uh, to us this evening. So let me open up with a word of prayer and then I want to give you some uh, scripture text that you can take note of for uh, this uh, this night. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, bless this study. Bless those, Lord, who are watching it. I pray, Lord, that it can be manna, that it can be a gift from your words right to our heart this day, and that we, Lord, can be fed by it. Bless the study, Lord. Bless our church. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So, uh, the first uh, biblical lady that we're going to be looking at this evening is Hannah. And let me give you that text. 1 Samuel 1, verses 1, through chapter 2. Verse 21. Okay, a couple of things about, uh, about Hannah. So Hannah, early on, ached for a child of her own, as we see uh, throughout uh, this, this biblical text uh, that leads up to this story of Hannah. Uh, women who, at the time, we, we meet them and kind of join them in their story, uh, they, are, they are barren. They are uh, infertile. So we're, we're going to pick up with Hannah here. Hannah ached for a child of her own. In the pages of the Old Testament, we see the longing and despair of infertility in a culture that saw the blessing of children as the greatest possible good and sign of God's favor. Now, to be denied motherhood in that time must have felt like being shut out of God's grace as it was especially painful to be compared to other women who not only had children of their own, but also turned that beautiful gift into a weapon by mocking and belittling the childless. And that's right where we meet our heroine this evening, uh, Hannah. So, who was Hannah? Hannah was not the wife of a powerful chieftain like Abraham or Jacob. She was married to a common man from an obscure village in the hill country of Ephraim. About her husband, Elkanah, we uh, know only that he was financially secure enough to support two wives, which may not have meant that he was all that prosperous. He was a Levite by birth, but he was living in a non-Levitical town. Yet scripture tells us that every year he went up from his town of Rathaham to Shiloh to present a sacrifice to God. And from that sacrifice, the priests would return to him meat to be eaten by him and his family, a ritual portion of food. And it's here that we first see just how devoted Elkanah is to Hannah in her childless sorrow. This comes from 1 Samuel 1, verses 4 and 5. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peniela 
to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So Elkanah didn't give Hannah what custom dictated. Instead, he gave her double, signaling his love and his care for her despite her desperation and lack of children. So, Shannon says, I think for most women it's easy to connect with Hannah, whether you've dealt with infertility or not. We all know what it's like to worry that a deep desire may in fact go unfulfilled. And that that can speak to certainly every one of us, male or female. What's worse is to have people know of that unmet longing and for them to leverage that ache into additional pain by taunting us and our open wounds. And and we see that uh, in many a biblical story uh, before even, even Hannah. That's exactly what Hannah was facing in in our story this evening. Uh, Pinnahah wasn't satisfied to find contentment in her own full life. She had to rub Hannah's face in it, hit her where it would hurt the most in her heart. Let me pick up with 1 Samuel 1, 6 and 7. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not even eat. So Elkanah might have been married to two women. But it was Hannah, this is important, that he loved. Loved the most. Much like Jacob loved Rachel, like Rachel, Hannah was the chosen spouse. But she was also the childless one. So there's that rub, there's that tension. The joy of being loved was counterbalanced against the misery of missing out on motherhood. Elkanah could see that Hannah was suffering. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you just eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? That comes from 1 Samuel 1.8. Here's some other scripture. 1 Samuel 1 Verses 10 and 11 says this, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. But she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So Hannah called out to the Lord, Remember me. See my misery. Please don't forget me. Whatever your struggle, this prayer works, right? It's a very human prayer. It's very raw. It's very personal. Let me read it again. Lord, remember me. See my misery. Please don't forget me. Now the next verse tells us that even after she made this promise to God to give up her firstborn son, in quote, she kept on praying to the Lord. That's from 1 Samuel 1.12. She didn't put her offer on the table and just walk away. Oh no, 
she continued to pour out her heart to God. Now, she didn't try to spark or strike, rather, a bargain with God. Making an offering to God isn't about God, but, in fact, about us. It's not that God needs anything from us. Making an offering to God is about making sure that just as in any kind of loving relationship, we are not simply taking from our beloved, but also giving back in return. So as Hannah was making her pledge, her story took an interesting turn. You see, Eli, the priest, had been watching Hannah weeping bitterly. And he jumped into an incorrect conclusion, right, as we often do. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not being heard. Eli, what? He thought that she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk, woman? Put away your wine. Okay, here's, here's where Shannon gets personal here. Ouch, she says. Have you ever been stung by someone getting the wrong first impression of you? When you are in fact at your very weakest, most desperate moment, she says. We've all been the victim. And we've probably all been the perpetrator, too. This moment always makes me wince and think about when I've been guilty of misjudging someone and their circumstances, too. And this was a woman who, in fact, needed not judgment, right, but comfort. So, a little bit of historical context Two things the ancient world found very strange were silent praying and silent reading. In each case, you'd expect to hear someone's voice. Today, it's commonplace for someone to close their eyes and pray silently. But that was not the normal method of prayer in the times when Eli served as priest. So he made a faulty assumption. Hannah in what was undoubtedly one of her most vulnerable moments explains. And this comes from 1 Samuel 1, 15 and 16. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Please don't get the wrong impression of me. I'm throwing myself before God and begging Him for help, Hannah says. We see no indication that Hannah ever told Eli why she was so troubled, only that she was. But he quickly saw her heart and her need. He told her to go in peace, adding, May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. That comes from 1 Samuel 1.17. Those words of assurance were just what she needed. The Bible tells us she went on her way, finally ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. 1 Samuel 1.18. There was so much power in the words of encouragement we share with others, loved ones, or even strangers. The scene with Hannah and Eli reminds me of Proverbs 16.24 that says this, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing 
to the bones. Now, isn't this just what Hannah needed? Some sweetness and healing. Eli could have added to her grief, and he certainly started down that path, but he quickly turned the situation around, sharing words that gave her what she needed most in her anguish, which was hope. Let this be a lesson for all of us, to step in and lift up those around us who are suffering. Not long after Hannah and Elkanah returned home, she became pregnant and had a son. What overwhelming joy she must have felt. Her years of crying out to God were not in vain. Her willingness to pray and weep openly and humbly at the tabernacle, asking for His help, what happened in the end? It bore fruit at last. She named her firstborn son Samuel, Shemel, in Hebrew for what God has heard. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful redemption story there indeed. So in reading Hannah's story, we can't help but think back to Abraham's story and his decision to follow God's command and offer Isaac in sacrifice. And in each case, the parent was faced with giving up their beloved child, which of course is a direct foreshadowing to God giving himself up in his son, Jesus Christ. So, the question for us this evening is this. Are we refusing to let God have control of a situation or cherishing the gifts we've been given over the giver himself. We wouldn't be human if we didn't sometimes try to rationalize things, right? So, let me let you hold on to that and conclude with Hannah's story with these uh, final thoughts here. Hannah's God is the God of reversal. He upended death. He alone could humble and exalt. He took people who had nothing and gave them everything. He had lived this reality in her view of God's infinite power was broader than her own little hill village of Ratham and Ahem. I hope I pronounced that right. Hannah also put a spotlight on the truth we see again and again in Scripture, that God's ways are not the ways of the world, right? This comes from 1 Samuel 2, verses 9b through 10a. It says this, It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. So God was good. Hannah had three sons and two daughters. A woman who spent years in misery and despair, taunted by her unkind rival. She, in fact, became a mother to many. Such joy. It's impossible to outgive God. As Jesus Christ spells out in the Gospel of Luke. Hear this, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and run over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke 6, 38. 
In addition to raising her growing brood at home, Hannah was also able to watch Samuel grow into a great prophet, one who served God and who would one day anoint King David to lead his people. It was in guiding Samuel to David that we see God reveal one of his greatest truths. This comes from 1 Samuel 16, 7b. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Beautiful and well said. Let me close with this. Hannah is an exquisite example of faith. As she endured years of longing and harassment, she didn't know Penuanaha's taunting to in fact make her and push her to the point of bitterness. Was she wounded? Yes. But we never see that she returned the venom or plotted against the woman who caused her so much pain. Instead, she allowed her agony to draw her straight to the only source who could help her. God knew every delicate, hurtful circumstance of her life, every detail, in fact. She took him all uh, her baggage and asked for his mercy. She continued in faithful prayer, prayer so passionate that it drew attention at the tabernacle. Hannah went boldly and openly to God with her request. Now, application here. Is there some wound or need so deep in your own life that like Hannah you should lay it at God's feet? Is there a relationship that seems beyond repair, a financial hole, a dream that seems that it will never become a reality? There's nothing stopping you but your own hesitation. You don't have to travel to a tabernacle or to a temple. If we've placed our trust in God, God is in us and with us every minute of every hour of every single day without fail. Just think, Hannah's decision to lay it all on the line set the foundation for the nation of Israel to one day be united under King David. Identified as a man after God's own heart. One woman had the faith to turn aside uh, what her critics hurled at her to take her case straight to God and be her most vulnerable self before the Lord God Almighty. What a great gift, Shannon says. A miraculous answer or deep wisdom awaits us when we are willing to to do the same. Okay, let me make a transition to Miriam here, okay? Uh, some text I wanted to give you. Uh, the first is Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. Chapter 15, verse 20 and 21. And then the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. And chapter 20, verse 1. So, 
the Bible doesn't tell us clearly whether Miriam married or had children of her own. Her life was, though, dedicated to the people and their survival, starting with her brother Moses, the very man who would lead his people out of Egypt and away from the crushing bonds of centuries of slavery. This daring woman was called Miriam the prophetess. That comes from Exodus 15.20. Very few women in the Bible have the title, because to be a prophet meant just not simply to speak the word of God, but also to lead the people into hearing and accepting the truth. It was by a by definition, a public calling. So we meet Miriam in one of the most well-known Sunday school stories of all time. It is set against the backdrop of ongoing oppression for the Jewish people. The Jews had multiplied to the extent that the king of Egypt became threatened to the point where he feared them, so he cooked up a plan. This comes from Exodus 1, verses 10 and 11a. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And, if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. Here's another text, uh, same book, Exodus 2, verses 7 through 10. Says this, then Miriam asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. So imagine how brave Miriam was in that moment. Everything about her would have quickly revealed that she was one of the Hebrew slave children herself. But she took a chance that this woman, who had shown such compassion for the baby brother, would also have mercy on her. And she stepped forward. Miriam's idea to offer their own mother to nurse her own baby. What a move, right, of inspired genius. How much Jochebed had felt when Miriam ran to tell her the news. For instance, Mom, come with me. You won't believe this. Against all odds, her little baby boy was safe and alive, and Jochebed once again held him in her arms. When she heard that a princess of Egypt would actually pay her to be a mother, to her own precious child. She must have wept such tears of rejoicing and whispered such prayers of gratitude to God. What would ultimately be the miraculous delivery of his people began with the brave actions of a young girl. So Jacobed would have nursed the baby Moses until his weaning at around three years of age. And then the scripture says that when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And here is where we then rejoin Miriam. As a grown woman leading 
the women's song of praise at the Red Sea after the Israelites' miraculous deliverance. She is an acknowledged leader of her people when she leads the rejoicing after the destruction of Pharaoh's pursuing army. Let me turn to uh, the scriptures again, Exodus 15, 20 and 21. It says, Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. And then moving on to some other information about Miriam. So what are the common threads between Hannah and Miriam? I want to make sure we we get that and understand that. Well, each of them watched as a treasured, beloved family member was turned over to God for his greater plans and purposes. And both seemed to do it with the assurance that God was in control. Hannah watched young Samuel walk off into the care of Eli, knowing she might see him just once a year at best. Miriam, too, watched as Moses was launched into unknown territory, first into the Nile and then into the palace of Pharaoh, never knowing when she might reunite with her precious brother. But both women had close relationships with God. Here it is, trusting, praying, and relying on His promises. Both had front row seats to incredible miracles. God reached down into each of their lives and did what was impossible with human effort. Hannah witnessed the miracle happen in her own body, and Miriam saw the miracle on the shores of the Red Sea as her people survived against all hope. Two other things here, church. And here is where Miriam and Hannah reach across the centuries and join hands. This is beautiful here. Pay close attention. Both openly express praise for and joy in God. Hannah opened her mouth and poured out her song, and Miriam reached for her timbrel and led the women in a dance of victory and thanksgiving. The joy of both women was the true, deep rejoicing that comes from a life lived in close contact with God. Joy is not the same thing as happiness, though. There was sorrow in Miriam's life, as in Hannah's. Joy exists despite circumstances, as Miriam's life, as in Hannah's. Joy exists despite circumstances, as it is deeply rooted in the steadiness of God's faithfulness. So I'll close with this. In our lives today, may we be open to sharing our joy as Hannah and Miriam modeled for us centuries of years ago to always bring God the glory. Well said once again, Shannon Brain. We appreciate the content here and the study. Uh, church, for next week, we're going to be looking at Esther and Rahab, the unexpected heroes of faith. 
Let me close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, what is so powerful about your word that is alive, that is life-giving, that leads us to salvation is that we can see ourselves in these significant people, Lord. And I pray that we take that in. I pray, Lord, that your word can be spiritual manna for us, Lord. Through it all, your promises, Lord, your faithfulness. It comes first, and it is everlasting. Let us put our trust in your tender care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, have a wonderful evening. Take care, and God bless you.